Amen, amen. Well, happy Easter, and um, we're so glad that you've decided to join us today, and um, you know, we are celebrating life. We're celebrating life today. It was literally 1,990 years ago, nearly 2,000 years ago, that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave. And this morning, we actually uh, sent this deal out this last week. We called it the Sunrise Challenge. I don't know if you got up early enough, but if you did, and you're living here in Bryan College Station, it was a bit cloudy this morning. But my family, we got up and uh, around 6.30 and headed out and got to have a cup of tea, and we worshiped Jesus, and uh, we could picture the sun rising beyond the clouds. But we just took that time as a family to say we're going to honor Jesus and honor that empty tomb this morning, which is what we celebrate here on Easter. But you know, I want to just take us back a little bit as we celebrate today about the events of this Holy Week, the events leading up to this Easter weekend. You see, it started with Jesus riding into Jerusalem, riding in on a colt and uh, with people waving waving palm branches, excited at his arrival. He was teaching and doing miracles all over the place, and then Thursday night came, and he had a Passover meal with his disciples, and they took communion together. Well, after that, of course, he was put on trial, and he was beaten up severely, and um, he eventually was taken to be crucified. And as he was there on the hill, the skull, they called the Hill of Golgotha, he was there, and one of the last things he said when the Roman soldiers were kind of bidding for his garments and so forth, he, he looked at them and the people, the crowds looking upon him as he's hanging on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Man, it would be well of us as a people, as followers of Jesus, to remember that line. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And at the time of all of this, probably very few people, very few of the followers of Jesus, very few of the disciples actually really believed that Jesus would ever walk on earth again, that they actually really believed that he would come back to life. But you know, these events of Sunday morning at the death and resurrection actually were foreshadowed hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. I want to share with you about Abraham and Isaac. This is an event in, uh, in, in history that really looks upon the Easter weekend. You see, Isaac um, is described as Abraham's only son whom he loved. He's seen carrying the wood on his back up the hill, the very hill to where he was going to be slain. And when he asked his father, he said, he said Father, here is the wood, but where is the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Abraham, his father, who had, who had heard from God that he was supposed to go and be faithful to sacrifice his only son Isaac, he replied, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He would indeed. You see, whereas God spared Abraham's son, he didn't spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all. God provided lamb that day. But you see, there's more to the story, because the story is not just about the sacrifice. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Abraham actually told his servant before he left to go up the mountain with his son, he said, "Um, both 
I and Isaac will return in Genesis 22. And the writer of Hebrews later in the New Testament seems to infer that Abraham believed God would raise Isaac from the dead, even though he was going to kill him. And in Hebrews eleven nineteen, it says he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What faith. That's why Abraham is called a man of faith, friend of God. But let's remember the story of Jonah and the big fish. And kids, if you're watching, you know this story. This big whale swallows up Jonah the prophet because God told him to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to go there. And the author in Jonah gives us this frame of reference. It says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights in Jonah chapter 1. And the mention of this time frame is a strong hint that after three days, Jonah will rise from the belly of the fish, and it says from the belly of Sheol, which in the Hebrew, that's the word for Hades, or the place of the dead. You see, Jesus tied together the events of actually Jonah's life, this Old Testament story, when he was preaching and teaching on earth. It was foreshadowing what was going to happen to him. In Matthew chapter 12, he said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, you have to remember that the Jews, when they counted days, they counted inclusively, right? And so the fact was that because Jesus died on a Friday and he came back on a Sunday for Jonah and the fish, they were thinking of three days and three nights. It made sense in their minds. So Jesus sharing this, but then it goes on, and just as Jonah got spat out of Hades, or the belly of the fish, on the third day, so did Jesus. And just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so Jesus became a sign to his generation. Now, isn't that incredible? You see, the Bible is actually filled with Old Testament prophecies, hundreds of prophecies actually depicting the events of this Holy Week, depicting the events of the cross and the resurrection. But you know, when it says that Jesus became a sign to his generation, it wasn't just for that generation, it's for our generation, for now. So what did Jesus, what is he giving us? Well, we've been reading this verse the last few times that we've gathered together. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've talked about the way. You see, he is the way. He made a way when there was no way. He had revealed the kingdom of God and shown us what the Father was really like. He is the way. He has shown us the way to live our lives. He's also the truth. We talked about this on Friday night as we looked back at the crucifixion of Jesus. But he's the truth. He is actually full of grace and truth. He is both and. He is without sin, without error, perfect in every way. He is holy and righteous and trustworthy, and every word spoken is true. There is no falsehood in Jesus Christ. Every word and every action is truthful. 
and nature. And he not only is truth, but has revealed the truth to us. And continues to reveal the truth to those who don't know him. He is the way, the truth, and he is the life. Today is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. We get to celebrate that he is the life. But what is Jesus talking about when he says, I am the life? We're going to look at a few scriptures to maybe better understand what Jesus is saying about life. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus responds to a question from the crowd, as he often did. And one of the people in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responds with a couple of statements to this man, to the crowd. He says in Luke 12, 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Meaning, one's life is not just about all the stuff that we can accumulate. But then he goes on in verse 23, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Not about you, but I love food. I love eating food. And yes, we actually need food and need clothing. We need shelter. These are the basics of life. But Jesus is even saying that life is more than the basics of food, clothing, shelter. And then in verse 25, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, that's a good word for all of us, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of you, by being anxious, and I would ask that question to us today, which one of us, by being anxious, can add a single hour to our lives? Which means if we are simply anxious about our health, if we are worried about all the stuff, if we are always scrambling for the basics, Jesus is trying to get through to us that actually it's more than that. The life he's offering, the life he's talking about, is more than all those things. Those things are important, but they're not more important than him. You know, Paul said, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, that um, he's learned to, whether he's had a little or a lot, whether he's uh, been in, in times of peace or in times of war, so to speak, that he's found contentment. But that, t- that contentment seems to be not in his circumstances, but in Jesus. Because he's found Jesus, he's then found contentment in him, which is, we want, which is what we want to invite you into today. You see, Jesus is saying life is more than the money, the possessions, the nutrition, the sleep, the abundance of things. All those things are important, but life is more than that. So what is it then? If it's more than those things, then what is life? Well, in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, he makes this statement. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, Max Lucado, you may know of him. He's a well-known Christian author, and he wrote in his book, Six Hours, One Friday. He shared this story. I want to read it to us. He tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. Now, they lived near a large river, and the tribe um, needed desperate medical attention. You see, a contagious disease was ravaging the population, and people were dying daily. Maybe similar to what we are experiencing now. 
A hospital was not too terribly far away, but it was across the river. And the Indians would not cross the river because they believed the river was inhabited by evil spirits. And to enter the water would mean certain death. The missionary explained to them how he had crossed the river to get to them and was unharmed. But they were not impressed. He then took them to the bank of the river and placed his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go in. He walked into the water up to his waist and even splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid of the river. So finally, he dove into the river, swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side. He raised a triumphant fist into the air because he had entered the water and escaped. And it was then and only then that the Indians broke into a cheer and followed him across the river to get the medical attention they needed. Isn't that what Jesus did? He entered in. He literally entered into the river of death and came out the other side of the empty tomb so that we could no longer have to live, so that we would not have to live with the fear of death, but that we could find eternal life in him. That's what today is about. You see, Jesus is saying life comes after death. And when you die to your own desires, your own wants, your own path, it allows for God to resurrect you and give you a new heart, a new mind, and a new perspective, new desires, and new hopes, and new dreams. You don't have to be afraid anymore because he has overcome death. He's conquered it. But it takes us giving up our own life in order to receive a new one. You know, when we baptize people on a Sunday morning, we will have a baptism service, as many of you know, and we pull out this huge trough, and it's our rolling trough. It's quite nice. And we bring people out, and they share their testimony, their life before Jesus, and then how they met him and what he's done. And then we take them into the baptism, and they literally go in the water, and we dunk them. And I tell the people every time, it's really important that we fully submerge them under the water. Why? Because we want to fully embrace that moment of Jesus being buried. You see, Jesus didn't partially die. He fully died. He was fully dead. He was gone. And then when buried under the water without hope, on Saturday we just sat thinking, wow, maybe Jesus won't live. Maybe, maybe it's all over. His disciples were thinking. They were worried. But then Sunday morning came. And at early dawn, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joanna and a few other ladies, they went to the tomb. See, they had oil and spices. They had prepared on Saturday. They prepared before so they could go on Sunday, maybe go into that tomb and anoint his body with these oil and spices as tradition was for the Jewish culture to honor his body. But they went, and what happened? There was no Jesus to anoint. There were no spices to put on his body. He was gone. The angel of the Lord was there, and he said, I know you're looking for Jesus, but he ain't here. The tomb's empty. He's risen. You can meet him in a few days' time. Jesus emerging from the river of death. Jesus emerging from death itself and overcoming. But you see, life, he says, comes after death. What about John chapter 8, verse 32? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus as the light brings to this dark world true knowledge. He brings moral purity. He brings the light that shows the very presence of God. You know, about a month ago, we took about 200 college students to Fayetteville, Arkansas on a spring break mission trip. It was literally the week before everything started happening and the shelter-in-place orders and social distancing started happening across our country. But we were there for that week on a mission trip, and in one of those moments, we will do sessions, we're worshiping, and there's a teaching. And at the end of one of those teachings, a young lady came forward, and she boldly shared her story. It was a powerful moment. I wish I could show it to you, but you had to be there. But she shared her story of these suicidal, depressed thoughts. She shared a story of how she was living in darkness and utter despair and how her dreams were dark and she couldn't see clearly. But then she came to this place of true repentance and true salvation with Jesus and all of a sudden the light burst through all the darkness and all the depression and stuff started to fade. And she shared her testimony, the breakthrough, and people had prayed for her the day before. And she shared, you know what happened? When she shared that testimony, there was 15, 20 people that came up after that needing prayer because they said, I can attest to the same thing. I've been experiencing darkness and depression and wanting to harm myself. I don't want that, but I need Jesus to break in. And so Jesus broke in, and several young men and women were set free that day, and they got the truth in exchange for the lie. They got light in exchange for the darkness. They got hope in exchange for the despair. See, that's what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. In 1 John 4, 4, he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I want you to catch that. Jesus is saying, he who is in you, talking about the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world, the Spirit of the world. Who's the Spirit of the world? He's known as the devil, the father of lies. Another description for him is he only knows how to steal, kill, and destroy. See, the devil knows how to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. That's his, that's his mode of operation. But Jesus says, no, I came to bring life. I came to bring hope. And when you are exposed to the light of Jesus, the darkness begins to fade. You ever go out at night with a flashlight, and um, without the flashlight on, you look, and the woods look dark, or the street looks dark, or you're walking around, you can't see much. But just one little light all of a sudden lights up the whole area. And in many ways in our lives, there are actually things right before us that God has actually put in front of us that are good things to be encouraged by, to be embraced. And all we need is the light of Jesus to shine on them. You see, everything isn't always dark. The enemy would like us to think that. The spirit of this world would like us to think that everything is falling apart, everything is dark. But there is hope, I'm telling you. There is hope in these days. We do not just live in dark days. We live in different days. We live in times that are challenging, but we are not without hope. See, Jesus saying that life brings the light into the places of confusion and darkness and despair. Lastly, I want to read this verse in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, I want to pause for a moment. Did you hear what he just said? He did not say in John 5, 
Whoever prays continuously all day long, whoever wears the right clothing, whoever eats the exact correct food, whoever looks a certain way, who's ever from a certain tribe or a certain family, he's not saying to who has the biggest house or the nicest things or who does the most work with the homeless or helps people to be fed or sheltered. He's not saying that by your works or by any of your own doing do you have eternal life. What is he saying? He's simplifying it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life. That goes beyond our present day. Now listen, I want things to return back to normal. I don't know how normal it will be six months from now, or three months from now, or a year from now. But as much as I want things to return back to normal, I have to tell you that my real longing is for eternal, not normal. Normal's good, and I enjoy my life, and I love my kids, and I love this church, and <laughs> love the city we live in. I think it's the best place in the world to live. But my hope is in the eternal, the place I can't see, the place I believe. My hope is in Jesus, someone who I put my faith and trust in. Could you see this passing of death to life is what Easter Sunday is all about. 1 Peter 1.3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which is why somebody who has lived in sin their entire life, that is why if you are watching, if you have lived a rebellious life committed to drug addiction and to abuse, if you have been a pathological liar or even a murderer, if you have embezzled funds or never paid your taxes, if you have done things to harm others or to harm yourself, I want you to hear Jesus say this. I want you to hear this. (laughs) You've been born again if you'd receive him. If you simply would believe in his word and believe in the Father who sent him, you can be born again, which means you can start over. You know, we have five kids, and um, I'm thankful for every one of them. But, you know, one of the sweetest moments with having children is that when they are born, you get to hold them within minutes of them coming into this world. And at that moment, there is such innocence on their life. There's such, (laughs) it's just beauty. Now, look, I know that they're going to grow up and be a two-year-old and three-year-old that throws fits and has to learn the ways of God like everyone else. But in that moment, man, there's something so pure and delightful about a child. And when we are born again, there's something childlike. Jesus says, we're starting over. All that stuff you did, give it to me. I'm going to tack it up on the cross. I'm taking it for you so that you can have new life, so you can have hope. You see, Jesus emerged from that tomb victorious, not defeated. In fact, it was only after the death and the resurrection that the movement really took off. Jesus ministered to thousands of people, no doubt, in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas and Judea and Galilee. But can I just tell you that today there are hundreds of millions of people that are following Jesus. 
that the movement, that the church was birthed after the resurrection, that the hope came and all of a sudden it spread like a wildfire. And that today there are hundreds of millions, not billions of people on this planet right now that are honoring Jesus, that are gathering together just like we are to worship and acknowledge Him. And what's amazing about the story of Jesus is that it's not just for a select few from a certain family, from a certain race, from a certain country. He's made Himself available to all, to Jews and Gentiles, to young and to old, to every skin color from every part of the world. Because He says, He who hears, whoever hears His words and believes in Him, eternal life is available. He's providing life now and forever. That's why He's the life. As we close this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you've heard about him before. Maybe someone invited you to watch this stream, or, and you've never really had a relationship with him. But I want you to know it's not complicated. There's not a lot of hoops you have to jump through. There's not a lot of boxes you have to check. There's not a waiting period, just so you know, to be saved. Um, really, you can step in to a relationship, a real one. But it's going to require you to trust Him. It's going to require you to believe in who He says He is. Because He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you. And if you're even questioning, if you're like, I don't know, I think I've received Jesus before. I think I've (laughs) prayed a prayer or something. You can do it again. If you're not sure, if you're not confident, I, man, my deepest desire is for everyone that you would have a confidence today. When you eat lunch in a little while, you say, no, I know where I'm going. I want things to return back to normal, but man, I want more than that. I want the eternal home that God's preparing for me. So if that's you, you can pray a simple prayer just like this. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins and that you have the power to take my sins away. And Jesus, I believe that you were buried in a tomb and then you miraculously came out of that tomb. You defeated death so that I could live. You took my place on the cross so that I didn't have to. And so Jesus, I believe that you did it all. And I say that I am sorry for everything I have done that has rebelled against you, any sinful behavior I've ever done. I give it to you and I say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And I want you to rule my life. I don't want you just to be a friend, Jesus. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my master teacher. I want you to be my God. I want to follow you all the days of my life. So God, whatever it takes, I'm willing to follow your ways, to know your truth, and to experience your life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray that prayer, I would encourage you to text us because we've got people waiting just to respond to you, to pick up the phone and to call you. They love to talk with you about the next steps and how to really start a relationship with Jesus, how to continue this relationship you've just started. You can text 474747 and just text pray now. 
It's that simple. Text pray now to 474747. And we'd love to follow up with you and start a relationship with you. But lastly, for everybody else, the question is really what needs to be resurrected in your life today? <laughs> what needs to be resurrected in your life? So here's what I want you to do. If you're with people in the room, one, two, three, five people, if you're in the room with someone, I want you to turn to each other right now and I want you to tell each other, this is what needs to be resurrected in me today. Jesus rose from the grave and I need to look back at him. Something may need to be resurrected in your life today. I don't know what it is. But turn to the people in your room and tell them right now. If you're not with anybody, pull out your phone and text a friend that you know is watching right now. Text a family member, text someone in your life and say, hey, I wanna text you. This is what needs to be resurrected in my life today. Because on this day, we are gonna celebrate. On this day, Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He's risen. He's out of the tomb. The tomb is empty, which means he proved to be the one and only Son of God. He proved to have power over death. He said he would, but now he's established it, and his kingdom is for real, y'all. He's available for you right now, and he wants to live life with you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to restore things that have been lost. So wherever you're at, tell someone what needs to be resurrected in your life today. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go into worship here in just a moment. Jesus, we thank you. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the light of this world, and in you we put our hope and our trust, period. We put our hope and trust in you above everything else. Everything else can fade or go in a moment, as we've seen the last month. But Lord, you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You've actually prepared a place for us, a place where there are no tears, there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no shame, there's no addiction, there's no embarrassment, there's no loneliness, there's no depression, there's no despair in heaven. It's all gone. You're making a way for us. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.